Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. Hello guys and thank you very much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. This is episode 38, the Ethical Investing Edition. Well, I've decided to take a little bit of a different approach for this episode and instead of sort of jumping around between a few different topics and interesting companies or at least company news, I'm going to sort of hone in on a very specific or particular style of investing or an investing theme, if you will. And as you can imagine, as the title suggests, that is ethical investing this episode. So sometimes that's called sustainable investing, sometimes it's called ESG investing, but I will get into all of that a little bit later. But first, I will sort of go over through some of the the normal stuff we like to do on this podcast. So if it's your first time listening, we do like to sort of talk about what the what the market did during the week that was, what are some of the key drivers from the week that was. So let's do that first. So the ASX 200 was up 2.1% this week. Over in the US, the S&P 500 was down about 0.8% and the NASDAQ was up 0.2%. So yes, another decent week here for markets, I guess at home. A little bit iffy over in the States, a little bit flat there, as you heard. In terms of domestic happenings here in Australia for the week that was, well, I mean, (laughs) the ASX for the start of the week actually wasn't usable. So on on Monday, there was technical problems. I I think it actually opened up for a very short amount of time on Monday morning, and then it was shut down for the entire day for the rest of it, and it did open back up on Tuesday ready for trading, but that was a little bit of a hiccup there to kick the week off. Again, similar to the week prior, there's been this continuing narrative of the improving trajectory of our economy here in Australia, so here at home, a bit more optimism, I guess, on the outlook of of where we're heading. And that has sort of helped drive those more traditional companies, the sort of quote-unquote blue chip stocks, sort of help push them forward banks especially again having a very good week your your likes of your CSLs also having a good week but the banks yeah going back to the banks they had a that was quite good so Westpac was up about eight and a half percent and Commonwealth Bank was up around 9.4 percent ANZ up pretty similar to Westpac about 8.6 percent another really big performer again this kind of feels like we're echoing the last episode here but Unibail, Redemco, Westfield, remember primarily their assets are actually held outside of Australia. So mostly Europe and and US markets, which are very key for them. They stormed ahead just over 25.5% for the week. I guess in some ways it's not looking good coronavirus-wise in those parts of the world, but this is coming off the back of more vaccine news. And we spoke about that from the Pfizer uh, and then BioNTech that their sort of joint partnership vaccine that they're working on. This week, biotech firm Moderna out of the US announced results for their vaccine to kick the week off on a pretty good note. They said the latest trials are showing an efficacy of almost 95%. It's important to note that these studies are still ongoing. And I mean that not just for Pfizer and Moderna, because the other big one that's going on is that joint 
one between Oxford University and AstraZeneca. So whilst it is good news, it's not there's still some level of caution that you should have for these news in terms of the vaccine uh, definitely getting approved, definitely moving forward and being successful. But we will still, well, I guess we and the market will still continue to follow that. If we stay at home for just a second here in Australia, the other sort of big kicker for us was labour data from the ABS this week, the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Now, if you look at it, so the, the unemployment rate actually slightly rose, only just by 0.1 percentage point, so it's at 7% flat. But this was because it, there was a big jump in what we call the participation rate. So people who are actively looking for work, so that's considered also a positive sign that you've got a bunch of people um, jumping back into the workforce. Quoting here just a tweet from Shane Oliver, who's Chief Economist with AMP Capital. He notes that it, so employment rose by 179,000 for the month, uh, 97,000 of which was full-time. And just to pause there, that specific figure was the one that kind of surprised analysts. It was like almost double what kind of people expected. So that was the, the good news of the data. It wasn't expected that jobs would jump by anything like that. Victoria specifically saw employment rise 80,000 and this that was sort of during the, the sort of early part of the lockdown easing off. So it's expected that that'll look even better when they look at November, so the current month we're in, what, what those stats will look like in, in a few weeks' time. Uh, Shane Oliver also mentioned 70% of the jobs lost into May have now been recovered and a bit less for hours worked in total. But that's here in Australia. I mean, it's not... I mean, there's always stuff you can touch on in the US, except that some of the big things don't really seem to be going anywhere. So there's no real stimulus talks to speak of. I, it, I don't. I almost don't see that happening until President-elect Biden comes into office in January. And yeah, it's... I mean, for them, it's looking quite grim in terms of hospitalizations, case numbers, deaths. It's It's like we keep saying, it's heading in the wrong direction in the US. So that's still going to be playing on their market. And that's why we've had these, these we have these weeks where our market overall, our index go, is going up a few percent and theirs is not, or they're going backwards or they're staying flat because the, the on the ground, the on the ground moment over there in the US is not nearly as healthy as, as we are, we are having here in Australia. But today, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, the topic is ethical investing. And as I sort of said, I've decided to devote almost the entirety of this episode to this topic. It's been, a, it's been a little while since I've done a show where we've really just honed in on a single topic and talked about it in a lot of detail. I think ethical investing seems to be an appropriate topic to discuss because just recently I've had various questions on the subject from a few people and that kind of, I guess that sort of kicked me to think about maybe doing it as a, as a theme on the show, but it also it also nicely relates back to this broader trend globally where we're seeing big interest in this type of investing and increasing amounts of fund inflow into investments or funds that are deemed themselves ethical. Now, we'll caveat at the top of this segment and say which that I mentioned, I will we'll be mentioning some specific ethical funds that can be found on the ASX for investors who want to have a look. However, like I always say at the top of the show, that doesn't replace financial advice. I'm not receiving some kind of kickback from these funds. I'm just using them purely as examples. So I just want to make that clear. 
But let's let's start off. So maybe a good place to start, start is defining what ethical investing is, which in it, in itself is the job of defining it is a little difficult because what is ethical to me might be different to you. What is important to you and, and your values might be vastly different to what I am I'm passionate about. I guess an example I would give is I... I would say I'm personally passionate about so the issue of climate change and there may be a value or strategy I look for if I was selecting an, an ethical investment fund today based on that. However, person B next to me might be, they might value uh, investing in businesses with a sort of strong corporate governance around say diversity and representation of gender on the board of directors and in upper management. So what's important to you will impact, I guess, how you view these funds. So ethical investing, you will see it, it'll be called sustainable investing or social, socially responsible investing or ESG investing. And I'll refer to that a few times. So ESG stands for environmental, social and governance. So ESG investing, it's a, and it's a, I guess it's an, an investing strategy where one would apply a filter on the investments that they intend to make that rule out particular companies or even entire industries that don't meet their particular ethical guidelines. So we'll go through some of the examples of what those filters might be. If, if you have a theme such as, say, social responsibility, that might include diversity measures taken within the company or management in terms of, say, uh, I guess, human rights issues such as how the company sources their product, is there direct or indirect exposure to potential slave labor or human trafficking. Another example although this kind of might fall under sort of data responsibility, but uh, customer information breaches, cybersecurity failures. If you're looking at social responsibility, maybe that might include ruling out companies in the business of, you know, quote unquote sin products. So, you know, the gambling industry, alcohol, cigarette companies, weapons and weapons manufacturing, businesses in the war industry, you could keep going on. Another theme is environmental responsibility. This might filter out resource companies such as coal mining firms or just fossil fuel companies broadly. On that note, it can also sometimes extend to companies indirectly in the same business. So maybe a bank that's that's financing those fossil fuel, fuel companies could be excluded based on that. Other issues under environmental might include animal testing or environmental habitat you know, destruction, land clearing, these are all just examples, but it starts to give you an idea of what the kind of filters that can be applied might be. And it's important to recognize that these filters can and will be different among various funds. And the investments in each fund can change based on real-world company decisions or controversies. So in March 2018, going back a couple of years ago, one of the biggest ethical funds or exchange-traded funds in Australia, it's run by a company called BetaShares, they made the decision to actually drop Facebook from its investments. So at the time in their fund, Facebook made up 3.9% of the whole portfolio of this ethical fund. Um, it sat under their an exchange traded fund that BetaShares runs called, they call it the BetaShares Global Sustainability Leaders. And they wrote at the time, quote, Facebook has historically qualified for inclusion in the funds index on the basis of its strong global leadership on carbon emission metrics which they say are nearly 80% better than its industry peers, as well as its responsible advertising and other policies. That's probably changed a little bit. 
They, they continue, however, the company has in recent times been the subject of a number of controversies and reputational issues. They go on to cite that the primary one at the time being the Cambridge Analytical Analytica scandal, where you had like tens of millions of Facebook users with their personal data you know, unwillingly compromised by Cambridge Analytica for political advertising purposes, and that was in the lead up to the 2016 US election. So that's that's one example of how the definition around ethical, well, it didn't change there, but it maybe it's more that the companies that are being invested in their their suitability and their and meeting the criteria could change as well, and that and that might that might change the way these funds actually decide whether or not to keep including them in the fund. And this does tie into, I guess, some of the difficult things about ethically investing. Is let's say I'm a fund manager. And one of my filters is energy or fossil fuel companies, for example, and I make the choice to exclude them. That's a relatively easy filter to manage because I can sort of canvas the top stocks on the Australian Stock Exchange and just kick out all the mining firms, for example. But something like what happened in the example earlier with Facebook is less clear because there sometimes may be unethical behavior that surfaces after the fact. So maybe me, again, as the fund manager... I picked a banking company and it's been in my fund for a few years and then it came out during the Royal Commission that this bank would approve credit cards or or lending to unemployed people or financially vulnerable people, which doesn't actually pass my ethical filters. But I, as the fund manager, which had this in my investment, I've only been made aware of it at the same time as the public's been made aware of it. So, And that's a very purely hypothetical example, but... I'm sure it's something that people who run these funds think about. And I'll swing back to that point right at the very end because I think it's one of the most important aspects of this style of investing and really just investing in general. It's understanding what you're investing in, understanding what's under the hood, taking the time to look at that before you actually part way with your dollars. But let's talk about their popularity because I, I did mention that they've it's definitely gained some traction and... I don't know, it's definitely been talked about more and more and that's not just me sort of giving circumstantial evidence. The actual money inflows are showing that the theme is growing as well. In January this year, so right at the start of the year, the Australian Financial Review reported specifically on this trend off the back of this growing concern regarding climate change after the bushfire season that we had. And they actually spoke to Credit Suisse, one of the biggest fund managers in the world, in in this article and they predicted that this mega trend of ethical investing to be to be the dominant investment theme of the decade they said quote sustainable investing is a long-term trend that every investor needs to consider this was said by credit swiss private banking chief investment officer andrew mccauley ultimately stocks with poor environmental social and governance credentials will trade at a discount in august this year the Financial Times reported on ESG exchange-traded funds or, or exchange-traded products. And just to clarify, so an exchange-traded fund or an ETF, as they, as it's acronymed, they are funds that you can invest in through a stock exchange, so they're traded on the exchange. So similar to buying shares in a company like Apple, like you can buy, say, 10 shares of Apple, you could buy 10 units of a fund on the stock exchange in the exact same way. So it's, it's very similar. So from the Financial Times here, quote, ESG ETFs and exchange-traded products saw net inflows of $32 billion globally in the first six months of 2020. This was according to data from ETFGI, more than triple 
the $10 billion in inflows witnessed during the same period last year, uh, taking overall assets up to a record $88 billion. So the first six months of this year saw triple the amount across the same period last year. But it's also sort of worth talking about, you know, just because something's popular doesn't mean it's a good thing or doesn't mean it necessarily performs. So it's also probably good to talk about how these things perform. And I'm going to talk generally and we'll talk about some specifics as well. But writing in The Australian in May this year, finance journalist James Kirby points out that 2020 data is showing that ethical investing had performed overall quite well during the turbulent market conditions that we've seen this year. And this is highlighted in his article titled Crash or No Crash, Ethical Investing Wins It Yet Again. Quote, just to review the numbers on a global basis, Dow Jones data shows 150 out of 200 ESG-focused share funds outpace the average return of a fund's broader category so far this year. He sort of discusses a little bit further underneath that, quote, closer to home where millions of Australians are now members of funds in the my super sector, the Rainmaker Research Group found if a fund member invested in general balanced or growth options, they would have been 1.5% better off over the 12 months to the end of March if they actually chose ESG options under that category. Further to this, and this was reported in The Guardian in June 2020, so this year, and this is data from Morningstar, and it's shown that ethical funds have held up quite well against traditional funds. The report here says, quote, Morningstar examined 745 sustainable funds and compared them against 4,150 traditional funds and found they matched or beat returns in all categories. Now, one reason, especially in the year 2020, why ESG-related funds have performed well is that many of the investments or one, a couple of the big sectors that these companies that are held in ESG funds are the health and technology sectors. And do you know what? At least here in Australia, I didn't look sort of on a global basis, but at least here on the ASX, if you want to take a guess at what the two best performing sectors in the past year are, it's healthcare and information technology. So the fact that the fact that healthcare and technology companies often score high on ESG rating measures, especially compared to companies like in retail, airlines or cruise lines, this point was actually highlighted by financial advisor Tim Mackay, who argued a very interesting take on this whole theme of ethical or sustainable investing in an article with the Financial Review in September this year, so just a few months ago. So in this article, Tim cited the example of whale oil, which... So the whaling industry back in the 1800s, it really fueled the American Industrial Revolution up until the mid-1800s because of whale oil. And this is before normal oil. So the discovery, I guess, of oil there in the US is what actually led the whale oil industry to collapse. He writes, quote, Likewise today, there remain easy profits to be made in the coal industry. Alternatively, you may object to investing in coal as unethical, more importantly, it appears to be an unsustainable decision in the longer term. It is likely that carbon-heavy industries will evolve exactly the same way the US whaling industry did in the 1800s. COVID-19 is accelerating this global shift from reliance on fossil fuels to profitable renewable energy sources. Now, the argument here is that whether you call it ESG investing, ethical investing, 
or Tim's preferred name in his article, he calls it sustainable investing. It shouldn't be sort of just seen as this fad or strategy just to make you know, people feel a bit better when they go to sleep at night. It should be viewed through the lens of investing in a way that focuses on long-term sustainable profits. And a very similar argument was made by an asset manager, Jack Lowenstein from Morphic Asset Management. This was in an interview with the Financial Review in January 2020. Uh, Mr. Lowenstein noted, quote, if you believe, as we do, that the coal industry is in terminal decline and will not be around in 20 years, then this is then a very risky investment, no matter how high the dividend yield is or superficially cheap the stock looks. Through sustainable investment principles, we can weed out these risks in portfolio and allocate capital to companies that have strong long-term growth prospects as they address climate problems. Now, that's not to say that ethical investing doesn't have its critics. And I think in the interest of fairness, it's worth pointing out that there have been some issues with this approach to investing and there are still healthy criticism for this theme of investing. And in December 2019, Reuters highlighted the news surrounding several large funds that are basically being called out for incorrectly labelling their funds as ethical. The reporter for Reuters, George Hay, writes, quote, the sector's headaches have already caught out some big names. Fidelity had to review a filter on its investment platform after it was determined in November that funds flagged as socially responsible did not actually have such an investment focus. Influence Map discovered that a State Street fund, so State Street's one of the, another really, really big global fund manager, it was discovered that a State Street fund marketed as fossil fuel reserves free still held stakes in energy and mining companies active in thermal coal. So that was quite interesting because basically you've got there that when people did start to dig around under the hood, maybe it wasn't meeting the criteria, so to speak, or at least what people expected that the criteria would be. But that's, again, I'm going to cycle back to the very end of this segment. In a 2009 paper in the Journal of Business Ethics, which was titled Why Wine is Not Glue, The Unresolved Problem of Negative Screening in Socially Responsible Investing, this paper makes the argument that it's simply not useful to define what socially responsible behavior is on the basis of the particular product that a firm produces. It, ultimately, this, this, actual, this paper doesn't argue that ethical or sustainable investing is a bad thing. Rather, it should be more specific in the screening process into taking in consideration the impact of the company's services and products, not just purely what the product is. The paper, which was written by Simone DeCole and Jeffrey York, highlights specific wineries and breweries that actually adhere to very strong corporate social responsibility principles. And some of these, the, the examples they give, they, they might have like a, a winery that's run purely on renewable energy or something, or a brewery or winery that donates X percentage of all their profits or revenue to community organisations, or they specifically only employ a very diverse range of local residents um, at their brewery or winery. And just to clarify, that that's they're not saying in this in this paper that every winery or beer brand in the world is like this. They're they're hardly sort of referring to those global alcohol giants that ram their marketing down our throats at any given opportunity, but the paper is still referring to very quality businesses that would be flagged as, again, quote-unquote sinful because they're in the business of alcohol. The paper then goes on to actually con or compare 
this against a glue manufacturing company, so a chemical company, but they're in the, the business of glue, which does and has been passed as socially responsible and has even been included in in funds under that under that broad category. But they show how the products that that these and, and they make the point that there's no, there was no intention from the people behind this product to do this. These are you know seemingly innocuous products, but they actually have been found to cause a bit of social harm in in developing countries where this these glue would be found as a drug, also like glue sniffing among like children in streets and things like this. So they're comparing basically, well, they're making the argument that you know what really is the worst business or product there from terms of a socially responsible point of view. From the same journal, but this time, so this is the, again, the Journal of Business Ethics, this time a 2017 research paper titled The Opportunity Cost of Negative Screening and Socially Responsible Investing. Peter Trinks and Bert Schultz explored the opportunity cost when you screen for so-called sin stocks or controversial companies. Their findings indicate that there may be an opportunity cost and performance cost to screening out companies. However, it does kind of largely depend on the type of screening that's being done. They write in their paper, quote, in case an investor employs negative screens, we find that the universe of investment objects can become substantially smaller. The extent to which this is the case highly depends on the screen that is being applied. For example, if you screen out adult entertainment, fur and stem cells, this has a very limited impact on the investment universe, both in terms of the number of stocks and in terms of market capitalization excluded. However, once you start to screen out alcohol, nuclear power, investors forego both a large number of investment objects as well as substantial market capitalization. And it's worth pointing out that that kind of information is disputed a little bit, So, and it, it does contradict data that comes from the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia. They produce an annual report, so in their latest one, which... They, they call it the Responsible Investment Benchmark Report. So this is their 2021 in collaboration with KPMG. They found that, quote, in 2019, Australian and multi-sector responsible investment funds outperformed mainstream funds over one, three, five, and 10-year time horizons. Further analysis shows the outperformance has continued amidst the major market disruption brought on by COVID-19. And I guess you could say that this relates to some kind of benchmark of what ethical investing or sustainability is but recently only in the last couple of weeks BlackRock which is again one of the biggest fund managers in the entire world they've said that investors and, and stakeholders need some kind of globally recognized sort of standard or frameworks of what ethical investing is they basically called out and said you know there needs to be basically a set of guidelines because at the moment it's a bit of it can be a bit all over the place it's kind of what one firm says as ethical under a certain guideline might be different to another one but i'm going to round out this topic with i guess some suggestions from myself of how to approach ethical investing again i'll reiterate the point i'm not an advisor or a tax professional however hopefully some of the pointers and examples of ethical funds might give you at least enough homework or at least a starting point to sort of help you along and so but I, but I want to go through a few different points of advice here. And point one, don't just find any ethical fund 
maybe it's just one that has the word sustainable in it or whatever and just throw your money in it, pat yourself on the back and say, I'm a good person. <laughs> and I know that sounds highly reckless and idiotic, but it's important, really, really important to understand what the fund is that you're investing in, what their definitions and filters are, what their overall philosophy is, because they'll all be different. The organization I mentioned before, the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia, they're, they're just one example of their website has basically a, an advanced search option where you can punch in you know, how much you're looking to invest and what's important to you. Maybe everything's important to you, maybe just a couple things. Maybe you just want to make sure you exclude a few things and they will give you you know, they might spit out like a list of 10 different funds that have that might be suitable for you based on those parameters. But in terms of what the differences might be between various funds, I've got a couple examples here. Now, uh, commentator Alan Kohler did an interview in July this year with David McCree. He's the Chief Investment Officer of AEF or Australian Ethical Investment. Now, AEF itself is a company that you can buy shares in. They're listed on the ASX, but the company itself actually offers managed funds and a super fund for investors to put their money in that are governed by the AEF's sort of principles and tenets that they use to pick ethical or sustainable investments or companies. And in the interview, David outlines some of the companies that don't pass the lens that they apply. And some of it might actually surprise you because they may even, even though I talked about like tech and health companies are often in there, that doesn't mean every tech or every healthcare company is, is, is under an ethical fund. For an example, he gives, David gives the example of if it was a tech company that solely serves an entity, say, such as the US Army, that would not pass their filters. Furthermore, during the interview, Alan Kohler asked David about other companies he asked specifically about Afterpay and David responded, quote, we've assessed Afterpay and we've deemed that it does not meet our ethical criteria. Alan says, why not? David says, it's not because it's not an appropriate technical, technological system. It's more the financial lending side of things. We believe it encourages consumerism and that the fees payable for people are probably too high. He's likely talking about the sort of late fees and mispayment fees that come along with some of those buy now, well, come along with all of those buy now, pay later apps. Another example is, so senior portfolio manager and analyst Nathan Bell of InvestSmart, he runs the company's Intelligent Investor Ethical Share Fund. He spoke in 2019 about some of the filters and companies that they would avoid in their fund. This was actually in a podcast interview also with Alan Kohler. Giving a brief rundown of some of the examples that would not pass the test to be invested in under their ethical fund, Nathan says, quote, in Australia, it's mostly gambling and casino companies. We've also got some alcohol exposure like Treasury Wine Estate. So though that clearly won't pass. Aside from that, uh, we've got gambling. We don't have really any tobacco stocks in Australia, but they're common ones overseas. And any of the pokies companies such as Aristocrat Leisure, these types of companies simply don't pass the filters. He goes on further. I think where it gets a little bit more interesting is where a company like Coles, for example, has say around 7% of its operating earnings coming from alcohol sales. Now, theoretically, that would be open to be invested in with the fund because we've basically kept it fairly loose 
and said that when a company makes most of its profit from these non-ESG sources, then we won't invest in it. So I guess to round out point one, make sure you have a look into what the company invests in. Again, I know that sounds very simple, but I'm not even convinced that people know necessarily what kind of investments their super is in. So you can look for this kind of stuff too, because often the people that run these funds, they will have a lot of interviews or podcasts or go on YouTube TV interviews and you can have a listen to them and they'll talk about, I guess, what the what the guidelines and, and what the filters are that they would use. Also jump on their websites. These kind of products always have fact sheets and product disclosure statements where they'll talk about the things that they automatically block out. They'll also show some of the actual investments that they do invest in. And I'm going to go into that in the next part because the next point is to understand the fees that you're paying. Now, when I say fees, so, and I think if you're going to go down this route to and look at something for ethical investing, I'd be likely looking at exchange-traded funds or exchange-traded products that are these ethical funds. That would appear to be the cheapest option in terms of the fees that you pay. So ETFs in general have helped bring fees down quite substantially in that, that sort of managed fund space. But the fees themselves can be very different depending on the fund and the company running the fund. Now, the fees are not something that will... It's not like every year you get a fee charged to your bank account, right? These fees will be scraped off. You're not going to see them, but they're going to be scraped off the performance of the fund, right? So if the fee is... They're probably not going to be this high, but let's say it's 1%. They're not going to be this high. And if they are, you probably should look somewhere else. But... If the fee was 1% and the fund performed 10%, it would probably be scraped off the performance of that 10%. And a couple of examples here. So I gave the example of beta shares. They operate two sustainability or ethical funds. One is called the Beta Shares Australian Sustainability Leaders ETF. Their, their annual fee or the, the overall fee is 0.49% per annum. That includes management fee and expenses. So that's been taken out of the actual performance of the ETF itself. Now, the other one that they have is BetaShares Global Sustainability Leaders. So instead of just Australian Sustainability Leaders, Global Leaders. This fee is slightly higher. So it's actually 0.59%. So these are important things that you need to take into consideration when you're looking at, well, you know, what not just what the fund holds, but how much it's going to be going back to the actual fund manager itself. Vanguard have their own listed on the ASX. It's called the Vanguard Ethically Conscious International Shares Index. Their management fee, again, very different to the beta shares everyone just talked about, is 0.18%, so a lot less there. Now, one of the other ones I cited earlier in the, this episode is the InvestSmart Intelligent Investor Ethical Share Fund. That's just another one. It's trading on the ASX under INES. It has a much higher management fee, so it's closer to 0.97%. So it's almost 1% annually. So what you'll find, not just that the fees are very different as you look at different funds and different fund managers, generally speaking, again, generally speaking, I, I tend to see that the very big funds like, like a Vanguard can afford and will likely have the lowest fees whereas some of the smaller companies are less likely to have those lower fees. So keep that in mind when you're having a look. Now, fees are the only 
again, that's not the the be or an end or, but it's important because at the end of the day, that's that's going back to the fund manager. That's that's performance that you're not getting back on the money that you've invested in. And the third point is have a have a good look at the companies that they hold because at the end of the day, that's going to drive the actual performance as well. So some of the examples I gave you like the Vanguard uh, Ethically Conscious International Shares Index ETF that you can invest in on the ASX. So given the name that does have international exposure, if you go in, you can actually see all their holdings, but they'll it's pretty easy to find like their top holdings. So the ones that make up most of the percentage of their actual investment fund. Scrolling down here, you see names. There's a lot of tech, like we talked about, and healthcare. You see Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet. So interestingly, they have Facebook, whereas one of the other funds I mentioned, the BetaShares one, actually kicked it out of their international one. But Facebook, Alphabet, which is Google, Procter & Gamble, Nestle, not sure if Nestle is very ethical, <laughs> Visa, JP Morgan, NVIDIA, anyway, Tesla, Home Depot, MasterCard, it, it goes on and on. That's just one example. Then I look at the top holdings of the BetaShares Global Sustainability Leaders ETF. There are some similar names, but there are some differences. So you'll see some big tech ones, Apple, NVIDIA, MasterCard, Visa, Tesla. I believe all those there I named uh, in the top holdings of the Vanguard one, Home Depot, Adobe, PayPal, Toyota, Motor Group. So yeah, again, you can have very different holdings. If you want to see them all, you can. they'll show the top 10, but you, there's always a part on their website where you can select all and you see exactly what they hold down to, down to the very minor holdings, like 0.11% or something. And then there'll be ones that purely only invest in Australia. So if we stay to beta shares, they have one called the beta shares Australian Sustainability Leaders. So same name as the global one, but it's just focused on Australian sustainability leaders and you go through there very different names quite a lot of healthcare some tech as well so their top 10 you'll see ResMed Cochlear CSL Zero, as in XERO the accounting software firm Telstra Goodman Group Bramble Sonic Healthcare Fisher and Paykel Healthcare so a, a lot of tech well a lot of health really in those top ones and then some tech as well but very different companies to say ones that will be international exposure. So you've got to think about what you want. If I was passing on a bit of general advice, and this doesn't have to be 100% of your money, but I would look to have some international exposure. Because at the end of the day, our tech and healthcare industry, as great as it is, you're sort of missing out, especially if you like the technology side of thing, you're missing out on some of those huge heavyweight names like an Apple or, or a MasterCard or something like that. You're missing out on those if you solely focus your investments in Australia. And that's just a general point I make. I'd make the same point about investing in any other kind of form like your superannuation. You should have some international exposure. But that, my friends, is ethical investing or I don't know if we decided on what to call it, sustainable ESG investing. I hope that, I hope that uh, teaches you guys something and makes you think about maybe a type of investing that perhaps you hadn't considered or perhaps you have considered and maybe you're a little bit more interested in it. Maybe you know some places to start uh, your research. If you have any questions, of course, shoot them through to the email for the show. So that's marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed this sort of deep dive episode on a topic. 
happy to do more of these kind of things. I enjoy doing it, doing a little bit of research on these topics. Thank you for tuning into the show on your preferred podcast platform. Please leave a review or a rating or a comment, whatever you can do. Tell your friends about it. Tell any family members that you think might enjoy the show. But other than that, enjoy your week. My name is Dion Grubin. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers.